What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Folks, I've got Jim Strobe here with me today. And Jim, um, Jim and I got to know each other really well because we spent a year, a little over a year together in an eight by 10 room. And um, I can tell you, Jim is a uh, resourceful guy that <laughs> can find things. And uh, I, I really enjoyed being with Jim um, when we were at Leavenworth. He was a, he was just a good guy to know and, and be around. And uh, so Stroby, welcome. Yes, sir. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Had to use that strobe. Oh yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> so Stroby, you and I met at Leavenworth, yep. uh, but your, your journey was uh, before I you know, met you in the BOP, but um, can you take me, cause I mean, simply put, I'm going to, we're going to go back into this, but you had a good yeah. big business, a lawn care business, successful guy. You caught a case, yeah. you got 10 years and then you, you got kind of shipped around the world and ended up at Leavenworth. But um, uh, tell me, about the Jim Strobe that I didn't know that was growing up outside Kansas city here. And what was young Jim Strobe doing back in those days? Um, well, uh, of course I started off in uh, Parkville, Missouri, where I was uh, born and raised where mom and dad still are in the same house, uh, 57 years. And, uh, that's cool. Went, I went to high schools, Park Hill Trojan. And uh, did good. Just kind of a country, uh, country jock. Yeah. Football, baseball, everything, everything was going good for me. You know, you got good eye hand coordination, Stroby. Well, uh, I I, I want to think so. Uh -huh. for, you know, I, six I, one two sixty. I think <laughs> I hold my own pretty good. <laughs> I, I remember when uh, we we were playing tennis, and you'd never played tennis before. I don't think. No, never and, have. And, course we had a strange tennis court that kind of moved when you moved because it yeah. was that sport court but you picked up on it and we pretty much dominated anybody that wanted to play us out there um I feel the same way on that uh -huh. <laughs> so so you played you in high school you played uh what basketball football baseball what all did you do baseball baseball and football I played football only one year but baseball all of it I like I like the baseball a lot more yeah and I it was funny, you know, about the tennis and even the golf, you know, I always thought back then, uh, the tennis players and the golf players and the soccer players, you know, they were all sissy. Kind yeah, of, of course. Whatnot. And now, uh, I love golf, love <laughs> tennis. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've played actually three times since I've been home and, uh, never even heard a handball. Of course you see me play that in uh, Leavenworth. I saw that a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a, uh, prison thing. Prison yeah, but it was uh, I enjoyed it and I was good at it and I liked setting a lot of those youngsters down, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's always good. So, yeah. But uh yeah, um and the reason that uh I was at Leavenworth, of course I caught a drug case. Wasn't a drug addict, but I I like money like anybody else and the, the opportunity was there, but I never even was anywhere near that game till I was 27 years old. Had my own business from 23 on up. Walk me through that, Strove. How'd you build that business up? What, what, tell us about your business. Well, I worked for two, diff two different people from like 15 to 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not making no money working for the man, you know? And uh, I had enough money. I bought my own equipment. Had me a couple trucks. Got 38 accounts underneath my belt jumped up to 46 accounts and everything was good. And I left all my good cash accounts that 
easy mowing accounts to dad when I left and mm-hmm. dad at 80 years old today has kept them all going pretty much. <laughs> I, and I was lucky enough. I've gotten to, I got to know your dad cause he came to visit you yeah. and, and our families and your family got to know each other in the visiting room and yeah, man, what a cool guy. Your dad yeah, is, is a, he's a military man, just a, just a, a man's man, just he a good a man. Sure. He's a yeah. good old guy. Well, tell me, okay, so you, you, you build up a business. Uh, uh-huh. You've got things going how you want them. What led you into getting into the world of uh, catching a case? Um, well, as you know, and most of the people know, uh, Hispanics, Mexicans, whatever you want to call them, um, they love to roof and they love to cut grass and this or that. And I had four of them that worked for me, a couple of them. We're straight up from Mexico, and you know what comes from that? They have some plugs and connections, mm-hmm. and I had the money then, and they like money like we do, and uh, I started kind of putting some money that way, investing, and uh, it turned into a, a good little thing until the feds started knocking on my door. <laughs> Was it a uh... – Stroby, when that happened, was this a surprise? Did you know the heat was on you? How did that happen? No, they didn't know nothing about me. Two of my coworkers, one was a Mexican, one was a white guy. And the white guy um, had worked for me forever. Childhood friend. I played T-ball all the way up to high school ball, Ban Johnson, with him in AAA. And uh, he, uh, he sold me out. He got in trouble, and he said my name. They didn't know nothing about me. And so it kind of happened like spur of the moment, but. Well, and I mean, I guess that's one of those things that that's a playbook for the, for the federal government is they, they'll, ta- they'll tackle one guy and they'll, they'll say, Hey, listen, if you say it's, give us more names, um, we're going to go easier Very- on you. We'll be, give you a lighter sentence or whatever they're going to do, but they're looking for names. Yeah. That's all. That's all they wanted. And they're just, you know, they're real quick to, it's kind of like a stockyard, you know, why would you want one bull when you can have 10 or 20? It's like a human stockyard, our prison system. That's all it is. I mean, they, they don't want just one guy. They'd rather have you give us 20 names, you know? Right. And they're real quick to, to barter kind of like in your situation, you know, keep mom out of it let's keep this place out here in california blah, 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 kind right. of deal you know what i'm saying yeah they put you in a situation where you almost are like put on me right let me take it you know don't hurt my family don't don't do that and they don't play very fair you know but no and it's uh you know going through that strobe i know that's you know it's just like the weight of the world feels like it's on you all at once did um did you always know that you were going to plea or did you think I'm going to fight this and take it? Or did, was it, was it an immediate no, thing? I definitely, Brent, I definitely knew that I was going to plea. I've heard too many different, I had a great lawyer. He used to, he was a 16 year uh, federal prosecutor and uh, John Ambrose was the uh, United States attorney. And he basically told me, he goes, Strobe, I've uh, had thousands and thousands of cases like yours. He goes, the 10-year mandatory minimum is a great deal for you. You can do a thing called RDAP, was a residential uh, drug program that could get a year off your sentence. You'll be home in about eight years. He goes, but if I take it to trial, he goes, I've lost two cases like yours in 20 years, and I won't lose three. He goes, you're going to leave that courtroom that day doing 20 to 22 years we're going to double it up and this or that your mom and dad will probably be passed and gone away by then or you can be back home and try to be a productive member of society and within eight years of course i'm going to plea eight sounds a lot better than 22 yeah and and, and eight sounds like a lot so the, uh, yeah. what was your family situation then married kids no, I've never, uh, never been married, but I was with the same, uh, um, woman, my baby's mother. And, uh, I don't know if you ever met Elise up there on any visits or not, I but, did. and it went, uh, she hung out and did for a little while, but I told her when I left, when you, when you swallow a 120 month pill, 
if things ain't really solid at home, you can't expect your spouse, girlfriend, brother, yeah. sister to sit there and really be there for you after that long a time, you know, right. You're going to, you, you can't waste your life. Like I'm wasting my life. You know, you, you got to get on and keep doing whatever you got to do. So I knew that was coming, but I'm in a really good place right now. It taught me a lot. I got to meet a bunch, not a bunch, but a handful of good people like yourself, yeah. you know? And, uh, well, tell me, uh, okay. So you, you do your plea. Um, you, uh-huh. they, did you, before you were sentenced, did you did they take you into custody immediately, or did you get time to wait? No, I had a, I was actually out for fourteen months on pretrial. Okay, so I actually got to get my stuff rounded together, and uh, my lawyer, which uh, is a big man down here at the federal, when he walks in, he walks in with a polyester jacket with jeans on, and they're all addressing him as John. How you doing, John? Okay. You know, he, and he was telling me I was going to have 45 days before they took me. Well, yeah. the day of my sentencing, they took me that day. But I did have 14 months out to get all my credit cards, all my bills, everything paid down to nothing. And okay, so they took put- you that day you got sentenced. What? Uh, yes. where, where'd you go, Jim? Straight to, um, they call it a CCA. It's a federal holding facility in Lansing, Kansas. They took me straight there. And I was there for four months, and that's where uh, I met my friend. Yeah. And well, walk, walk me through that, Jim, because I've not heard good things about CCA. No, it's nothing. It's like a county jail. It's yeah. like your downtown St. Louis County Jail or our Jackson County Jail down here in Kansas City. Yeah, it's not good. You get like at least you know when you're in the federal system, you know how it starts at the penitentiary to the medium, the low, and then mm-hmm. you get down to where we are, where mm-hmm. which camps are should be just wiped off the map anyway. Right. right. You know, if you make it down to the camp level, you need to have a deal on your ankle sent home. Exactly. It's, it's a waste of taxpayers' money, and just like you know me, I was out plowing snow, and I'm out in the middle of Leavenworth just driving a truck around. Yeah. And this or that. It's it's a it's a waste of taxpayers' money, but. What? Because uh, the characters that are because I was in that county jail for six days and that felt like six years uh, in Warrington yeah. County Jail. Uh, do they? Are you in a pod or are you in? Yes, it's a it's a it's a big pod and you just have two man cells, but mm-hmm. everybody comes out to either watch TV and eat. Okay. It's all open area, open area, and then you go back into your cell. Yeah, you go in and they do the same kind of counts that they did like you know, yeah. Leavenworth. But. And, and you were there for four months? Four months, yeah. And, and then how do well, you find out? Is, go go they ahead. Put every, they put every kind of offender in there. It don't really matter. They don't really move you around, you know, and put you with people of your caliper. So right. that's why it's so bad. Yeah, and there's just nasty things going on. There's lots of fights. It's just, it's, yeah. it's not comfortable. No. So you, um, how do you, did they just uh, one day say, hey, Stroby, hitch up, let's go, and they yeah, take you to they, El Paso? Yeah, it would come out on a bulletin deal, and you'd kind of look at it every day, and your name would be on it, and then it would say El Paso, uh, Latuna FCI, okay. blah, 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 and then you'd be gone the next day. So then I went down to the transfer center in Oklahoma City. By bus? Um plane plane oklahoma city the holding facility is like an airport where the plane pulls off flies right in and when you come out of the airplane you're right into the prison right into it's the the national transfer place for prison in the united states yeah yeah and it's that's i've heard all kinds of stories about that i was talking to james borders the other day and he's talking about how crazy that whole thing was when he got off that plane and, and just like cattle, you were herded in and out. And- yeah. No. And I actually, when I was there, I seen, they, they pushed us all up against the, the wall and they actually ran a guy through. Like if you were moving a refrigerator on a dolly, mm-hmm. it was almost like, uh, um, what's that movie? Uh, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. They pulled, they took a guy through on a dolly, had a mask on his deal and they were pushing everybody against the wall. Like, What's this guy do? Just kill 300 people or something? And probably did. Probably did. You just happened to be in the same building with him. (laughs) So uh, how long were you there at the transfer center? Um, I was, I was only there for a week. Okay. 
And then you, then you fly, they take you shackled to fly to El Paso. Yes. And I was, you know, I'm already down in uh, Oklahoma, so I'm already heading South toward El Paso, Texas, but we had to go back up to Colorado and then over to Utah and then back down. I spent eight hours shackled my hands to my waist and my feet. It wasn't a good eight. I don't like taking a eight or 10 hour uh, airplane ride to Hawaii with a cocktail, (laughs) much less shackle where you can't even hit your own face or nothing for eight hours. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't comfortable. I can't imagine how uncomfortable that was. So you, you end up, um, uh, El Paso, which you're right next to the border. Uh, walk me in Stroby to that because you know, this is your first entry into a low. What's your first night? Like what's your first day? Like really there? Well, all the announcements were in Spanish Okay. first, and then they said English. That's the primary. That used to be a immigration transfer, and it's an old-school prison. It used to be a maximum, maximum security like Leavenworth, mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of deal. Four rows of barbed wire, four double fence. I mean, it's, it was a maximum security, but it was an FCI. And for you guys that don't know uh, FCI, that is just Federal Correctional Institution. Right. And – uh they named those as like mediums and then lows. And, uh, no, it was a, how many guys were in the, uh, El Paso or the, that prison 1600 inmates. It's a lot, a lot. And I was actually, and it's, it's like people here, you know, whites stay with whites, blacks, Mexican. As soon as I got in, uh, some white guys, some biker guys took me in and filled up my locker with some, ramen noodles and soups and I had some shoes and sweatpants and this or that. They took good care of me, you know, now they wouldn't have, if I would have had bad paperwork, of Mm -hmm. course, but I had my paperwork and stuff on me. So, well, and that, uh, and that, for those that don't know what that means, the the paperwork is all about, you know, the, the child molesters are in lows and mediums. They're not at the camp level, but, uh, those people carry the, uh, the lowest of the low of the prison world. Right, very much. They walk around with a red flag on their head at all times. Yeah. They can't get with any other people. And But, yeah, when you walk in with your judgment and commitment papers, it tells exactly what you pleaded to, mm-hmm. what's going on, and this or that. And uh, you're pretty much good. You kind of, as bad as it said, means or sounds, you actually walk in and you kind of get a little family going of your own people. And It's funny how that happens, too, because it's, it's – uh, primitive environment but people segregate into you know their own people and Uh they you you kind of coexist when you have to but it's uh the environment is very primitive and i can't imagine out of 1600 i think we had 400 at leavenworth but that's a lot a lot of prisoners uh, um caucasian was the minority uh there was like 88 white guys on that compound and like 800 Mexicans and the rest were blacks. And was there, uh, you see much violence in that, in that world? Quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. I've seen a few people get their teeth knocked out with a, a padlock on a belt and this mm-hmm. or that. And yeah, there was, there was a fight once a week mm-hmm. and mainly it was the Hispanics, the, uh, Norteños and the Serenos from California and stuff, you know, they they don't get along at all. Yeah. But I mean that's just the way of the world, you know. You So you didn't almost, see family obviously down there because you're so far away. Yeah, I know, and I didn't have them come down there. I was down there for 3 years. I didn't have them come down cuz right at that time they had the big uh border war in Juarez going on mm-hmm. where they were kidnapping kids and sending drugs and bodies and stuff. I mean, I just like don't even bring the girls down here, dad. Don't don't how how old, uh, Stroby, would the girls have been when you went in? I left uh, Issa, the, the youngest. She's 12 now. I left her when she was nine months old, and I seen her at Leavenworth when she was just turning four. I know. I remember that. There was also yeah. a thing that hel- happened with her with the dog that you were. Yeah, she got she got uh, bit by a dog, a uh, pit bull from a buddy of mine's, which she got a little – settlement out of the deal and uh, I got it squared away and put up for her. So it had to be, it had to be tough Jim to go through that. Not, you know, cause you feel 
so helpless as a dad when you're right. And, and right off the rip, I get down there to Latuna. This happens to, uh, Issa, like two years being down there. But when I first got down there, uh, dad had a, uh, open heart surgery had a stent put in. So I'm like, I'm going to lose dad. Mm -hmm. My daughter's getting bit. I'm losing my, my baby's mother. Mm -hmm. Everything hit me hard. That first three years was kind of a a rough battle, you know, but how did you, um, how'd you handle hard days? Cause there's hard days in prison. Oh, very much, very much. It was a lot of quiet time. And I did play handball and softball and walk the track as much as I could, you know, keep those, keep those, uh, earbuds or your yeah. earphones in and listen to your music or whatnot. I yeah. mean, I still don't to this day because I swore I'd never watch TV or have those things stuck in my ear again. I don't even wear my AirPods. You know, <laughs> I just, I just don't like them in my ears. Well, you know? for those that were, we were talking about this, when, when you're in prison, you're, you have a radio that has, you know, that has the earphones and the TVs are on, but you have to turn to the channel. So there's really no noise when you're watching TV. So it's a kind of a different looking environment uh, yeah. in the prison TV world. And it's like the old, it's like the old school Sony Walkmans, the yeah, AMF exactly. videos with the dial, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it takes you back some retro years with that. So your, your, your way of handling um, hard days was to stay um, busy Active, and physical. Busy. and got us busy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you I, sit around, sit around and have all those negative thoughts and everything, I mean, that's just negative stuff's going to happen with negative thoughts. You just have to kind of just keep pressing on. And I think that one thing you learn, Stroby, is that you don't want to stay down too long in prison because it's a slippery slope because it's there's it's such an ugly bad place. If you allow yourself to get down, it's hard to get back up. You know, you want to you want to have some kind of strategy that gets you feeling like you again because it's not a good place to be down because it feels no. claustrophobic anyway but the being yeah. down in prisons uh and you get down in prison there's there's you know that's one of the things you know people they don't talk about it a lot and you know I we're probably talking about it more right now than we've talked about it in yeah. a year that we yeah. lived together but um right. it's it's different it's different being down in prison hard days are different sure. in prison very much. So you, you, you had three years, um, three years there. Yes. And how did you get to transfer? How did that happen? I actually had to have, uh, Claire McCaskill. Yeah. Roy Senator. Blunt and Roy Blunt. Uh, mom and dad wrote them several letters, made contact to them. And, uh, they actually put a good word in because they weren't going to transfer me. They were going to leave me down there for the duration. They didn't care. And, uh, after 18 months in a federal prison, you can transfer every 18 months. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how their book, their handbook, their log BOP states every 18 months, you can be transferred as long as you got good behavior and no shots and nothing. If you get people that don't know what shots are, it's like getting a, speeding ticket or getting a DWI. They just keep going up to where you could catch a drug case or a murder. It's all a ticket or. Well, and a shot can take away a good time. A shot can also affect being able to go into the, the RDAP program that you mentioned, Stroby. And if you get a level one shot, you can't get accepted into that. And that's like losing a year. Yes. So they, they put in a good word for you. Uh, Yeah the letter and uh once i got the letter back my uh, counselor um i actually remember him too and he was a great guy he was a uh kind of black samoan guy uh rodeus parker okay Uh, he really helped me out he got those letters in signed them whatever and i was out of there within 30 days i was i was on i had a ticket yeah coming straight out of the low they got me a greyhound ticket the town driver drives me straight from a low and drops me off in the middle of El Paso at the bus station. And I had an hour wait and they only gave me $25 to travel with. I went to, of course you're in El Paso, Mexican community. I go to the first taco hut. I see, I get three tacos and I walk over to the convenience mart and bought me a can of chew for the bus ride home. And I pretty much spent the whole 25 bucks on those two (laughs) items. But 
that was a long bus ride to Leavenworth, Kansas. I, you got to tell me though, because you've been you've been locked up for three years, and all of a sudden you're riding this Greyhound bus, looking out with, the window. No, uh, asking people next to me on the bus, "Can I borrow your cell phone to make a call?" And this, or I mean, yeah. you're with great civilians. Yeah, you got me locked up in a cage for yeah. three years, and then all of a sudden. You're going to pay for me a bus pass to be out in the community. Boy, I'm a big threat to society. <laughs> big threat. <laughs> that is that is kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's crazy how that happens. So you but. just you just arrive in Leavenworth after God knows how long a bus ride that would have been. Oh yeah, no, it was terrible, and it actually was two and a half days because our bus broke down for ten hours in the middle of Oklahoma. Oh my God. So we're sitting in the parking lot in the grass at a 7-Eleven in the middle of Oklahoma for like 10 hours till they get another bus to us. So I actually missed my, I was supposed to be there Friday morning in Leavenworth and I left like Tuesday afternoon on the bus. And uh, Wednesday and Thursday I was traveling. I was supposed to be there on Friday morning, but I didn't get in until Friday, like at one in the morning. So guess what happens? They don't let nobody come in to the camp at one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. Nope. So I go up. I have to go up to the big house. Mm-hmm. Walking up those stairs at one fifteen a.m. at the the penitentiary up there, which is a medium now, but. It's not a good feeling. I'm like, where am I going? Did they mess my paperwork up? I'm supposed to be going to that camp. <laughs> I got my points down. Yeah. But they didn't let me go to the camp till Monday morning. So I spent two nights in the hole up in the yeah. medium. There's, so there's nothing oh. good about that. You know, when they process you in, um, they you know, you're down in that basement and those cells and <laughs> yeah. just like you said, Strobe, it's like uh, hey, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually supposed to be here. Right. But you don't, yeah. they, you don't know that because you could be put in to that. And in the fact, media, I had yeah. a, I had a thing happen where I had to go to the case in St. Louis and I can't remember. No, I was in RDAP at the time and I had to be gone for this case. And they went and picked up a guy up at, at the big house and at the, um, up the hill. And the guy gets in, he says, Oh man, he said, I, you, you wouldn't believe this. He said, I've been in there for six days. He said, I've been telling them they had me at the wrong place. And he, so he was riding with me to the, uh, the private, uh, place that was, you know, like a two miles away, the private prison over uh-huh. there at Leavenworth. But I was thinking, that's exactly what you don't want to hear is they just misplaced the guy. And he, when he said that he was in the wrong place, the, the guard said, yeah, that's what everybody says. Yeah. Uh-huh. Everybody no, says don't. you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. They don't care. Mm-hmm. You're on, you're just an inmate to them. It don't matter what level you are. <laughs> so you spent the, um, you spent the weekend in the hole. Yeah. So you got introduced to that. What was that like? Eh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't no good. Yeah, it was not – you talk about feeling helpless and solid. No bed. It yeah. was a concrete slab. Yeah. But you actually did have your own shower in there. That's interesting. Yeah, it had your own shower in there. You and, didn't have shower uh, shoes, though, did you? Oh, no, no shower shoes. And the, the opening was about 18 inches, so you got to go in it sideways. Uh. And it's tiny. And uh, Could you hear you people? Could, could you hear people talking or uh, like when you're oh, in? Oh, yeah. 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 A lot of beating on the doors and acting like caged animals, you know. Yeah. I noticed that they did that in the county jail at night, and I never did understand why they made all that noise at night. The, the few days. Yeah, that's I was, ridiculous. I, I, don't, I don't understand that either. It's not going to help you getting out the door, beating and kicking on it. That make, doesn't make any sense, but I no. never got that one. They did it every night, too. It was just. I mean, I've never been a CO, never planned on it, never will. But if somebody's kicking on the door, wanting to get out, yelling at me, I'm probably not going to open the door. Yeah, I'm not happy about that person, right? <laughs> not a good yeah. compromising position. So you get let out, Strobe. You hit, you head down. Probably an inmate drives you down to the camp, maybe. Yes, yep. yes. Inmate drops me down at the camp, and that was um, August fourteenth uh, of thirteen. 20- 2013 yeah and I actually knew uh Tracy Colombo and Matt Mooney because I was with them down in uh, Latuna they were already there so I showed up 
they looked me up. They knew I was already up there. It's it's funny how the inmates already know who's coming, what's going on. Yeah, this or that. there's nothing else to do. Yeah, and uh, so I fit straight in there pretty good. Got a bed up in uh, C2 yeah. around some buddies. And uh, within two days, I was playing uh, softball on a team. And you were a good softball player, so that's 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 always a good thing when you can roll into prison and actually add something to one of the teams. You're oh, accepted yeah. pretty quickly within the prison world. Yes, yeah. So I mean, not that that's a that's a good thing. You but hit the ball well thing. and pitched. Yeah, it, it was a good. Uh, yeah, when I first got there, I started uh, playing third and. Uh, this or that, but as the years went on, you know, as you get higher in the forties, you're not taking those shots at third no more. Let me go ahead and hot corner. (laughs) So Strobe, I came in and just a few months later in January, you got there in August. Uh, You know, if I remember when you, when, when you and I met each other, you were kind of running the lawn care business of of cutting all the grass basically and and uh leavenworth lawn and landscape with donnie yeah uh great great boss great guy you know those guys are just uh eighty thousand dollar a year babysitters right that's all they do you know easy great job and he was a good personable guy you guys cut you guys cut a lot of grass too i mean i don't know how many acres that was yeah, no, it was uh, it was huge, and uh, I believe it was like actually the grass that we cut was almost thirty acres. Thirty acres, yeah. But by the time we'd start Monday, by the time we'd get to Friday, we were already ready to start where we had left off. I yeah. mean, it's kind of like cutting a golf course. Up there. What'd you say? Good equipment. And and the other thing I always thought was weird about Leavenworth was is that in a big front area there and that they had roaming buffalo yeah just yep. and uh, the whole time i was there for five years i never seen one vet you know <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about them animals it's just a it's just an eye candy for people oh look at the look at the little buffalo yeah they got mange and they're crippled yeah. and uh yeah it's it's crazy i've actually uh, i gave birth to two baby buffaloes out there i was actually out there when the mom was uh giving a little calf I did not know that tractor out there. Yeah. Cause Donnie was in control of kind of feeding them and we put hay bales out for him in the winter time, you know? Well, but, the other job that you took, uh, was cause I went to the, the, uh, golf court Fort Leavenworth to, to work. Yeah. You went to the, to the food warehouse. Uh, and that's when the days, that's when the days started, uh, sparking up there. We had a good far. boss with Noel. He was a good man. Noel was a great guy, and he was uh, he was into any extra uh, means of uh, doing whatever. There, he he went with it. I mean, I had a good burger business. I had all kinds of different. Can you explain, Strober, your burger business? I I don't know if the outside world understands how your burger business worked. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it it was kind of unique and it, it, it kind of was a good spark in prison. You know, you got people, uh, making pizzas, rice bowls, burgers, people sell food, people, uh, make money doing other people's laundry, washing other people's dirty drawers. I mean, it's like a little community within a community, but my burger business was very well went off great and it was uh, profitable and you, fun and you had you had to be resourceful too because just having hamburger wasn't enough you had to cook those burgers yeah you had to cook them and anytime that uh i wasn't having access to the um electric grill to fry them they were just as good in the microwave you mm-hmm. can cook good burgers in a microwave yeah. and chicken uh-huh. and anything i mean a microwave is a very resourceful thing to cook food very resourceful. And you always seem like you had enough microwaves to be able to do that, which uh, you were cooking quite a oh, few burgers. Yeah, very much so. And, of course, Unicor up there, you know, they, they had a lot of those microwaves. And I always kept at least five microwaves on hand, you know. to And Unicor uh, was a, as I understood it, because it was really like a factory and the prisoners were in there taking apart uh, things that came out of like federal offices yes and it came there and they took the pieces apart and sold those pieces but a lot of things went in there that worked which some of them being microwaves 
found their yeah. way into other areas uh, that could be plugged in and could be for making hamburgers or whatever. But I, I it just, yeah. I remember I would get back from work and there were guys lined up out our door and they were looking for burgers. And what, I think it was what, three stamps? The burger was three stamps? It was five. Five was stamps. Five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Five stamps. And I'd usually get rid of about 30 burgers a day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so no, was, uh, burgers in prison were like crack cocaine. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, everybody wanted them. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was good. So strobe, you, uh, I left, um, let's see, November of 16, end of 16. And we spent a year in that little eight by 10 room and we had a nice room. You remember Clark painted all that for us and, Oh yeah. We were the envy of C1 and probably the whole prison. We had a very nice. Yeah. Clark was a, uh, genuine Martha Stewart. He was, you know, he, he had it well detailed. I think we had seven different shades in that room, <laughs> seven different colors. It was great. It was nice. <laughs> but you, you remember when, when we first moved in that room, I think we were both different parts of the prison and they told us that they were hitting our room and we had just set up and were moving in and the guy came in there, it was a newer, younger guy, and he, you know, he had the whole place torn up. He was, you know, being hit when you're in prison is no fun because they just, they throw everything on the floor, throw your mattress yeah. on the floor. So we find out there's nothing in our room but these yeah. little rocks. <laughs> and he wants huh. to know what those little rocks were. And you explained yeah. it to that those were for your, to soften your feet. Is that what that was? Yeah, they were pumice stones. Pumice stones. Yeah, that you can use on your heels or the balls of your feet, you know. <laughs> so, when you play a lot of uh, handball and softball stuff, the feet get worked out, you know. And you explained that to him, and he looked at you, and he handed them back to you, and he said, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I was like, yeah, I've rubbed my feet with those and other things, you know. How do you like those? And he was just like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so the other thing, too, Strobe, is that I don't know – we, we could sometimes in, in the wintertime, we could see snow that came through the windows. You know, it would get, yeah. it got cold enough to, I don't know if it, I don't know anything about windows, but I've never seen that before. First of all, we didn't have any heat that was on until about the middle of November, but snow would actually come through those windows. I thought was always very unique. Yeah, they're very, very efficient or very tight. That's for sure. That's for sure. And, uh, like you said, yeah, the heat does not come on until a week before Thanksgiving. And, of course, anybody that uh, knows anything about the Midwest, it's kind of chilly out today. I haven't turned my heat on yet, but you when, might. You're sitting in, when you're sitting in a, a cinder block building yeah. that's just block, they're cold up there right now. And yeah. they got three more weeks until the heat comes on. That's right. So when you get 30-degree nights, 35 or whatnot, you better have some long johns and Oh, yeah. I mean, there were many nights that we went in with our, you know, stocking hats on with our coats and, and, uh, but, um, some people were lucky enough to have a, a, a space heater that kind of helped yeah. out. And that was, that was nice. That was nice too. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other aspect, when it was 110 outside, there's no AC. Mm -hmm. You don't have any AC there. So you kind of go from one extremity to the next. Yeah. And it was, uh, I, I never could quite decide which was worse, the, the super cold or the hot. And I think I, I finally settled on the hot. I think the hot was okay, better for me, because you had less, felt like you had less days of the 100 degrees as opposed to the 35 degrees trying to oh, sleep. Because yeah. at least you could have your little nice souped up fan, you know, blowing on That's you right. in the summertime. Yeah. So. And, and the trick, the, the prison trick was, is that, and I didn't know this until I went to prison. On a hot day, you close the windows in the morning, and it right. traps the heat, the cool that came in at night. And then you open the windows at nighttime and let the cool air in. And if anybody was caught opening their windows during the day, that could be trouble. Oh, very much. And yeah. you have other cultures that want to firmly believe opening your window in 100 degrees 
when there's a little breeze, oh, I feel a breeze coming through. No, you're feeling a hair dryer, hot air blowing through the window. When it's 100 degrees, you're not getting a cool breeze coming through. 100 <laughs> degrees is 100 degrees, you know. Yeah, and then it really is 100 degrees. Right. <laughs> All right, Jim. So walk me into um, you've you've served a lot of time. You're you're seven plus in. Yes. What's it start feeling like when you know you're getting close? It's a little antsy, kind of a little anxiety, a little antsy, like what's, what's really going to happen? You know, I've already pretty much lost everything, but I've kind of dealt with it. And, and you can only build up so much while you're in prison. You can build up enough to where you're comfortable while you're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. But when you get out to the big world, it's not, you know, it's reality check coming back at you, you know, and I was glad that I uh, had locked into a good job where I could start the second day I was on the streets working and uh, been there ever since. But I thought in my mind, it wasn't going to be nothing like what's going on right now, three, uh, 40 months down the road, you know? Well, you know, you, you, you were a, different type of individual to be able to find something right when you got out. Cause you know, a lot of the guys, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but they're, you know, when they get out, they, they need a job. You got to check, you got to check that you're an ex felon on that box. You need yes. a place to live. You got to check that you're an ex felon on that box. You need a car, you need credit. You got to check that you're an ex felon. So those three things, if you can't get those things, that's really tough to get back into the world. So you have to be absolutely 100% as resourceful as you've ever been in your life. Yes. And you're dealing with the anxiety of pushing yourself back into the world of, okay, time stopped for seven and a half years while I was in. I'm jumping in yeah. basically a moving car to catch up with everybody. What All did right. that feel like to you? Yeah, it was it's I've always been the driver. It's hard, harder for me to be in the back seat and just let who, whatever's going on, you know, it's like, I didn't even feel like I could even push any discipline toward my daughters or whatnot. I thought that was all gone, you know, cause they hadn't had to listen to me for almost eight years. You know, you just can't jump back in there and be the boss, you know, the head of the household kind of deal because you've lost so much time, but yeah, it, it worked out. I mean, it worked out for me and I know it doesn't work out for a lot of people Yeah, because it, it is rough. It is rough. I, you know, you're such an honest statement though, Stroby about the fact I was in for three years. So compared to the time you were in, I had those thoughts, mm -hmm. you know, and, and some of them were like simple thoughts. Like I'd always taken care of paying the bills. Yes. Well, that had been going on without me for three years to the point where that's something Julie wanted to do now. And I was like, okay, you know, you, you kind of try to f find your way back into how is everything? I don't want to mess up anything. And I definitely don't want them to think that I'm some kind of different guy. I want them to think I'm the same guy, but my head's spinning because I'm wanting to make sure that I get in back to this world, right. So that everybody's okay with me. Right. And you've got all that going on in your mind. Because a lot of people weren't as fortunate as and the girls. Whoa. I think that's my phone. <laughs> my phone is. All right. Sorry about that. That's all right. A little intermission. A little intermission. We'll have to learn yeah. how to edit. Yeah, but like I was like I was saying is a lot of there's a lot of people I'm talking like 80% that were fortunate for like you having Julie and the girls yeah. to come out in the or I had mom and dad to go you did. live at, you know, for a year or so till I ended up meeting Lisa and being able to get a house and get everything going, you know, because if people come out with no job, no family, like you said, no car, no nothing, I mean, if people hate to go to the DMV every two years or every year to get tags for their car out here in the world, if you're in there trying to get a driver's license and do all that, it's times 10. Everything is way more hectic. Everything's, everything's a lot tougher. And yeah. you, you've got the, you, you, you walk into back into society with a, with a tattoo on your forehead saying I'm an ex felon. 
as yeah. much as you want to be, you know, the, the opportunity guy and do all the things you need to do, you're still dragging that with you. You know, yeah. it, it follows you wherever you are and you just have to learn that that's kind of part of what you're going to deal with. But if you can find people who believe in you uh, yeah. and take that opportunity, then man, that's, I don't know if anybody knows how much we appreciate that when somebody says, Hey, come with me, I'm going to be an opportunity. And, right. and you've had that strobe for what, since, since you got out and you, yeah. And you t- tell me a little bit about life now. You told me the other day you got a Harley. Yeah, yeah, got a got a Harley. Uh, my girl got one and kind of talked me into getting one. And uh, I've always rode four wheelers, three wheelers, and stuff, you know, on the farm and whatnot. But I've never had no. I always thought a Harley was an old man's bike, an yeah. old old man's cruiser is what I always thought. Well, <laughs> uh, they need to label it like a crotch rocket instead of just like the ninjas or whatnot, because that old bike will run. It'll take me up to 120 mile an hour as quick as I want to go. You That's know? fast. It, yeah. And it's, uh, it's nice and it's enjoyable. It's kind of nice to be by yourself to where you don't have to be talking to somebody in the car. If you yeah. don't want to, you, you're just there by yourself. But, uh, if you don't mind, I want to go back to this deal. Once I got out too, is being labeled as a felon. Well, since I work in the state of Kansas, the state of Kansas and the state of color California are the only two states that I have to register as a drug offender. And I go every three months into this room with a bunch of sex offenders and a few drug offenders. And I have to pay them $20 every three months for the rest of my life. Wow. And it's just ridiculous. And you can't pay in advance. You can't say, Hey, here's 80 bucks. Let me pay for the year. No, they want you to cut. It's a way to trap you to let's see every three months you have to come in. So we'll see if you have any warrants or see if you're doing right. You know, it, it's only because I work in Kansas. If you work in Kansas, live, go to school, whatever, you have to do that. Now, if I just worked in Missouri, we don't do that here, you know. But it's like, I, you know, I, I played out to a 120-month sentence. Right. I did my time. Mm-hmm. I did my programming. I did my drug class to get my year off. Mm-hmm. I fulfilled my side of it. Now you want to put five years of supervision on me after I do that? And I have to pay 20 bucks every three months for the rest of my life. I just, it's, uh, I, th- I think that what, I think what happens Stroby is, is that when you do that, you feel like you, you gave up so much and not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that anybody's right or wrong or what, how they got there. Cause everybody's got their own story, no matter what it is, you give up so much of your life to go in. And you want to get your life back when you get out, and you 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 hate these tentacles that are all over you. That it's trying, it feels like it's trying to pull you back. Yeah, smothers you. Yeah, and it's it's the freedom thing. It's 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 trying to right. shed that freedom off of you when you're trying to get take that step, take that step. You tell people take the step, and you're taking the steps, and then they're pulling you back with that stuff, and it just doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel yeah. good. No, and just like I got denied. Uh, this last March, um, I got a great PO. Um, anyway, I've done half of my five years supervision. I put a judgment in with my lawyer to the judge to let me go at halfway. And he denied me in this last March, but he did commence me on staying sober, doing all the things that I've done. He said, go ahead and resubmit it, uh, tw- uh 2022 in March. So here next year, I'm going to resubmit it. So he'll probably let me go. So I'll have to give him three years of supervision instead of the two and a half. But yeah. it's like, where does it end? I went shot free for eight years, yeah. did the Arbidat program, get out, worked the same job for 38 months, got my daughter into a house, bought a house, haven't caught a speeding ticket or nothing. I mean, I've done everything right. And you still just want to keep me in that web like you're talking about, yeah. the tentacle. I feel like the octopus has me right by the throat, <laughs> everything. You know what I mean? No, I get it. I get it. And it, it's, uh, you just want to be totally free. That's, it's yeah. the, that's the feeling you feel. And, right. uh, you know, the, the, and, and it's not that you, we, you and I both know Stroby, we love being out of prison. You know, our worst day, thank God we're not in prison, 
but right. you just don't like to be touched with it. Once you're, you feel like you're done with it. You don't like to be touched back with it and have to go back and deal with it. Yeah. It feels like the same feeling. And that's the sure. trying to get it. It's that little PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I'm, I'm really happy for you, Stroby, because, you know, we, we were on, we FaceTime the other night and man, it's so good just for, you know, you and me met each other in a bad place and right. I always knew you were just a cool cat. And I, last yeah. night, I'm, you know, you sure. come off your Harley ride and, and you had a big fire going and you got your girlfriend there and, and it was, and it was just yeah. like, you and I are just um, talking like yeah. normal guys. It was happy time. Yeah. I mean, you had a cocktail, I had a beer and we just get a talk, you just know, to talk. and let, let the girls meet each other. Yeah. And it's just normal, normal life stuff. Totally you know? normal stuff, which <laughs> yeah. is really surreal for you and I, because we were lived in this little eight by 10 room, but that last night FaceTiming and you're out with the fire, the girlfriend, I introduced Julie yeah. to your girlfriend. We we're right. having a cocktail together. I was thinking, man, yeah. that feels good. Yeah, no, that was great. That's great. So, Stroby, anything that I haven't asked you that you want to part to the world out there that is something on your mind? You know what, Brent? I mean, we covered about everything. I mean, I just, I just would like to say to anybody that's listening to this, keep your nose clean. If you're doing anything that you even think is – as far as not getting everything paid on your taxes or just simple stuff that people think that's okay. You know, like if you've skipped a year of tax paying, even if it's a thousand dollars or whatnot, I'm going to tell you the federal government don't care. They would just soon put you away for a year and a day just because of that. I mean, just keep your nose clean and do what's right out there because you need to enjoy your family yeah. and your freedom. Yeah. Family and freedom are two huge, huge things. And that's the only advice that I could give anybody. Love know? it. Love it. Stroby. And can't put a dollar figure on that. No, no, nope. for sure. You can't. Well, tell your dad. Hi. Um, I sure will. I sure a, will. Been a great talk. This has been nightmare success in and out. Thank you, Jim Stroby for being my guest today. Thank you everybody for listening.